How did Coach Paul Torricelli build great relationships with his players? Well, I don't know if they were all great. There's some I've never heard from again. I early on just decided I'm just going to be myself. You know, I had an administrator say that when I first started at Northwestern, because I, I just played it really low key at first, but I was I was pushing the envelope a little bit. But this one administrator said, you know, you got to go out there and kind of be a, a tough guy. And I looked at this guy and I said, I thought to myself, you know, you you clearly have never coached, you, you know, the tough guy cliche. Um, there's a lot of ways to be tough. I stuck it to a lot of guys behind closed doors, but I think building the individual relationships, making every player and I, or I try to feel important and feel listened to. Hey, this is Renee Vidal. Listen, no matter what business you're in, communication is the key to your success. In this episode of Down 40 Love, Paul Torricelli shares tips on how you can become a master communicator, create value for other people, and build amazing relationships that last. Are you ready? Let's go. Paul Torricelli was at the helm of Northwestern University Tennis for 24 years, earning the Big Ten Coach of the Year Award three times and leading his Wildcat teams to the NCAA tournament nine times. Inducted into the ITA Hall of Fame in 2009, today, Paul serves as Northwestern's Senior Associate Director for Alumni Relations and Development. Paul Torricelli, welcome to Down 40 Love. Great to be here. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, I love connecting uh, before we, we hit the record button. Why don't you help us bring us back to how your journey began in tennis? Wow. Um, very non-traditional all the way through into my coaching career. Um, I grew up in the East Bay, a little town called San Lorenzo, uh, which nobody knows where it is, but it's just south of Oakland along the bay and bedroom community. Uh, modest background. My dad uh, did sales and was a waiter and or maitre d' in a restaurant in Oakland as a kid. I washed dishes and bus tables and two bedroom, one bath bungalow that I still own. And for some reason, my mom thought tennis was really cool. So she started taking a, my brother and I and some friends to lessons in San Leandro, neighboring community. At the high school, the high school coach, a guy named Bob Hall, ran a summer, you know, like a recreation program, you know, with balls in a bucket in the box and that kind of stuff. And and uh, I just loved it. And, um, you know, started playing tournaments. Um, I wasn't very good. So the, you know, the non-sanctioned tournaments, I could, I could win a round or two, the sanctioned tournaments, I get bounced right away. So those were the, uh, the Eric Van Dillen days. Um, and uh, I just loved it. And so I played in high school, uh, which was great because it gave me an identity and um, I wanted to go away and, and uh, go to college and become a teacher and a coach uh, and had, uh, we had, we had really neat guys in our high school, Arroyo High School in San Lorenzo, and they were uh, role models. So coaching and teaching was something that I wanted to do. But uh, as far as a, a resume as a player, I didn't have any, I mean, other than playing. I was, a ca I was always the captain of the team, um, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, nothing to speak of in terms of uh, regional or, or USTA rankings. How far were you from San Francisco? 
Oh, close. Just, you know, 25 to 30 minute uh, drive across the bay, depending on traffic. And, uh, you know, uh, when you grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco is the center of the universe. It still is for me, uh, even though I love where I am here near Chicago, um, but uh, very close by. Where'd you go to college? I went to Chico State, Cal State University, Chico, about three hours north, part of the state university system. It's a little division two non-scholarship university, probably about 12,000. Um, a perfect place for me to go because I could play there. Um, I looked at Chabot Community College, which was close by, which had a great program. And in, in retrospect, in some regards, I probably should have gone to junior college, but uh, the chance to go away and go to Chico, and it was a lot of fun. And they had a great teacher education program. And I had a wonderful experience. I played for a man by the name of Wayne Dawson, uh, and uh, who was uh, a real mentor to me and a real inspiration and real imp impact on my coaching philosophy and, and career. Um, and then I had another coach last year, Bill Colvin, who was wonderful to me. Um, it's a re really great experience. So, but what again, was some... I was on the team and, you know, captain my last two years, that kind of thing. What were some of the key um, mentorship lessons that you took away, maybe from those guys or, or anybody else? as you were, were coming up through the ranks? Um, I think, you know, what, what happened was I was on the team, uh, you know, I wanted to, I knew I wanted to be a teacher and coach at that time. It was kind of, everybody was on track to be a teacher and a high school coach. And my freshman year, um, these coaches, it was the far Western conference. So Sac State, Davis, San Francisco State, Humble, you know, and a lot of times, uh, and, and what is now Cal State East Bay, the coaches didn't have tennis backgrounds. They'd just been assigned the tennis team, kind of like high school. And I, I watched, started watching these guys. I'm going, and I loved my coach. And I thought, you know what? I could do this. I, and I loved the dual matches in college. It was <laughs> so much fun. And it was such being on a team. So almost immediately, I set my sights on being a college coach. And I let my coaches know that. And they were very supportive. When I left in... Uh, I did a fifth year because we have a teaching credential and I missed a year because of a knee injury. So I, um, Bill Colvin said, Hey, I'm going to step down from this. And when the time comes and recommended you, and I came back and started my career there, but Wayne Dawson was instrumental. He had a very quiet, uh, understated way about him. And he believed very much in competing for the love of competing. Um, and, uh, that it really came intrinsically from inside each individual and he did he 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 taught that in a very hands-on but non-demonstrative way you learn that over time from him and i'll never forget one of my uh, assistant coaches one of the guys that graduated um i wanted wayne to work on my game more with me which was not his style and one of the assistant coaches said one of these days you're going to be playing in a match and it's going to be tight and you're going to look over there and look at him and you're going to realize how bad he wants it for you. And um, I did, that happened. And, you know, I go through the wall for him. I spoke at his memorial in Chico. Um, it was 2017, he passed away and just a very impactful man for me. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, the different personalities that go with leadership, right? Because he had one style and your style might be different. And then as we were, you know, having conversations earlier today, um, all the people in our sphere, 
everyone has a different personalities. There's not just one way to be successful. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of coaching. I, I, I think, and I, I just love talking about college coaching and staying in touch with all my old friends are, you can't fake it when you're a college coach, when you've got an eight to one ratio or nine to one or whatever, you've got to be yourself. And you have all these coaches with different personalities. And I think the vast majority stay true. They're just themselves. They realize that's the only way to be. Um, and uh, they find ways to be successful. And the success may not even manifest itself in wins and losses. Um, I, I measure success not only that way, but um, I, have a, I have a friend, and I'm going to mention him, um, Steve Houghton, who was at Iowa for 34 years. And Steve grew up in Iowa City, uh, played high, I mean, went through the school system played at Iowa, then became the assistant coach, and then was the head coach for 34 years there. He was Iowa tennis. Wow. And he didn't enjoy the success that others have. Um, and I don't know what kind of a commitment Iowa made uh, in the past, but there is not a more beloved coach by his former players. And I know coaches that, you know, would never had great successes and wins and losses, but never had that. Um, I'll never forget um a former Big Ten player who I know well and um played in the Big Ten and he said he got out of the van after his last match and never spoke to the coach again never has and I thought how tragic you know that would be to not have that that those relationships with your players afterwards so yeah you've got guys who are hard asses you have guys that are you know, the, the easy easy going approach the quiet approach um you have a little bit of everything and it's really fun to comp and it's fun to compare notes. It really is. How did coach Paul Torricelli build great relationships with his players? Um, well, I don't know if they were all great. There's some I've never <laughs> heard from again. Um, I, I early on just decided I'm just going to be myself. You know, um, I had an administrator say that when I first started at Northwestern, Sometime because I, I just played it really low key at first, but I was I was I was pushing the envelope a little bit. But this one administrator said, um, you know, you gotta go out there and kind of be a, a tough guy. And I looked at this guy and I said, I thought to myself, you know, you you clearly have never coached. You, you know, the tough guy, you know, uh cliche. Um, there's a lot of ways to be tough. I stuck it to a lot of guys behind closed doors. Um, but um, I think building the individual relationships, uh, making every player, and I, or I try to feel important and feel listened to. Um, I think if, if it's a one-way street, you know, do it my way, you've got to, especially tennis players who are so individualistic. Uh, and I realize that um, to be successful, you needed guys with strong personalities. You really do. And uh, so I really listened to them and actually I learned a lot uh, and considered, hey, maybe my way in a particular uh, situation wasn't always the best. And I think got more buy in that way. They knew I was on their side. Um, so that was that was really, really important. And not to get off the player subject, but even with assistant coaches, um, I told you I had a quote that I stole from another coach, but Ronnie Smar, the great coach at Rice in South Carolina and Colorado told me one time, he said, your job is to get your assistant a job. 
So I used to tell my assistants when they started, um, I'd tell them that. And when they first started, like one of the first days, and um, I'd say, I'd like you to stay for a while, but the right thing comes along, you're, you take it, I'll find your replacement. Well, that way they knew I was in their corner, that I wanted them to succeed. And uh, so I think listening to people, making them feel important. I think it says so much about who you are as a person and what you've accomplished as a leader. Um, when you look at what your assistant coaches have gone on to do, can you share some some highlights or some of your favorite success stories uh, of the people um, that have gone on to do some great things? Well, I'll tell you right now, I'll start with Arvid Swan, who was my successor, is my successor here and um, at Northwestern and, and uh, was my assistant for three years. And um, when I had, I had a, uh, Jay Edwadia, who's now at Arkansas, had left. He was with me for four years and Jay went on to Drake, Fresno, Oklahoma State, now Arkansas. Um, I was looking for an assistant coach and I had a couple of guys in mind and um, I'd learned through trial and error what I was looking for. And Arvid, I had, had played at Michigan, been a great player. I had, um, uh, you know, had gone out after school. We, we'd always had a good relationship. I'd recruited him. He'd come and visited, but he always dreamed of going to Michigan. And um, he came to me and said, you know, I, I'm really interested in the opening. And, you know, Arvid was a very good student. He had a, he had a law and a CPA degree. And <laughs> I said, what do you want to do this? I don't have any money. And he just, but the look on his face uh, uh, he was so hungry to coach and I already knew what kind of person he was. And, you know, I knew it was the right decision to hire him. Um, so, and watching him take ownership of the program after I left, we'd had three years together. So he kind of had his Paul experience and knew what to take away from that. And, uh, but he put his own brand on it in a very short period of time. I just couldn't be prouder. I, I think my my number one um, accomplishment at Northwestern is recommending him for the job, which I did when I left. So um, Adam, Adam Steinberg, I'd just say, because you know, you just had a had a call with him or um, when Adam came to me, I, I had somebody else, this is 1995. Um, I had somebody else in mind for the job and Mickey Mall, who's now with the USTA, who'd been a former assistant, uh, had recommended him. And when he came, um, he told me his story of what he had done, uh, coaching at St. John's at part-time and then working on a club two hours away on Long Island and driving back and forth. And I thought to myself, it reminded me of kind of me paying my dues and with the kind of things I did and volunteered for and I thought I'm getting anybody this hungry I gotta hire him and um Adam was our assistant for two years and he made our program better and he's made the program better wherever he's been you know Alabama Pepperdine Michigan and now undoubtedly at Florida so um you know being around guys like that it's been it's been really really fun and inspirational I've learned more than they have what would be your top three to five leadership tenets? Um, I think what I said earlier about being a listener and and making people imp feel important. Um, I think that um, instilling that and in, in the communication 
aspect of it, whether it's in team meetings and, you know, team meetings are uh, after a while, no matter what you have to say and no matter who you are, they're going to start tuning you out or they've already know the lines before they even get out of your mouth. So you've got to be a little bit careful. Um, I think communication, good communication. And I became a real advocate of less is more. Um, the unspoken word sometimes. So I think communication, uh, listening to your players, uh, making them feel important, and and having a, a vision for uh, you know for what you wanted in the program, and then on a, on a more more micro level is um, your expectations of the players at practice and in matches, um, or, and make it real clear to them what your expectations were. were. You know, I mean, nothing is worse than than getting a vague message or no message at all. And um, so expectations, making that really clear to people. Uh, have a vision, believe in the vision, execute the vision. Yeah, as best you can. And, um, you know, maybe uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I was I was perfect at it, but, um, you know, really, I think, you know, with coaching and I don't care and that my training in college, too, which was really helpful in this was whatever the sport it's about people relationships managing people and managing a group and getting a performance out of both an individual and a group and my college coach had said to me and coached many sports he said tennis college tennis was the hardest sport to coach because of the personalities and then the format you know you've got what is, what is essentially six one-on-one -on -one basketball games or six boxing matches going on simultaneously and in the old days, you know, we may not even have an assistant on the court with us. Um, and people would ask me, how do you do that? You know, and, and it's it's a dance. It's it's an art form that you learn and how to move court to court and when to go and when not to go and who to talk to. And, you know, one match, you got to hold somebody's hand and the other match, you got to hold somebody else's hand. And um, and and that that uh, that philosophy of less is more. I remember going on the court um with a player that I'd know really well and um just telling them hey you're doing great I want to sit here because I've got a better view of <laughs> and actually I, I want to sit there for other reasons but um you know all those little nuances yeah there, there's such a psychology to it isn't there just from an yeah. individual standpoint and then the psychology of just leading the team and there's really no, there's no better place to learn it than during those matches, like being in the trenches. You've got to learn. You've got to get, and I, I think what's great about college tennis is a lot of, uh, and we have so many great coaches now, uh, more than ever before, I think. And, um, you know, they get an opportunity to get thrown in really early and you learn from doing and your, your style can change over time, but you, you've got to just be out there on the court in a dual match and um, and learn, you know, where to be, what to say, what not to say, um, and timing more than anything. And trust, a lot of trust in your player. Um, I used to call it stroking and poking. I'd, I'd uh, you know, one court, I had some guys that were really, and they were fun guys. You could say, you know, you look great today, you look amazing, or you you're, you know, you're the, I, I would tell like four different guys that they were my favorite player of all time, all within, <laughs> within the, the course of one hour. And then somebody else you had to give a kick in the ass to, you know, it's time yeah. to wake up.
you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, well, you know that I started my career with Greg Patton out at Boise State and Greg was the king of nicknames. I mean, every player yeah. had a nickname. We had some nicknames as, as coaches. Um, and I've taken that with me, you know, to this day. I mean, I have one player on my team right now that has four or five different nicknames. Sure. You know? And some of these go viral on campus, whereas, you know, other athletes and and your general student on campus, they know the nickname and it, it really builds community and builds enthusiasm around what you're doing. Um, Coach, what does down 40 love mean to you? The first thing, and when I saw that in your thing, um, every player can relate to your down down love 40, you're down a set and a break, whatever. And the beauty of tennis, um, it's got the perfect scoring system. There's two sports that have perfect scoring systems. That's tennis and baseball. Uh, they're incremental sport scoring systems uh, in that there's no clock. And so you're down 40 love, but you're one point away from being down only two points. And if you can string together two points, you're right there. And especially with, with no ad scoring coming back. Um, but you play within that three point range in that, you know, if you're up 40, 15, you know, you want to close it out at 40, 15. You don't want to, you don't want to let the guy start creeping back. So you're never completely safe. There's no safe leads <laughs> and there's no ins insurmountable differences. You're never out of it completely. Um, you know, and that, that, that uh, phrase, let's make a story. We're down a set and a break. Let's make a story, you know, and it's a, it's a great, you just start digging your way out. I had a player, um, Mark Eisen, who's a brilliant physician now lives in New Jersey. And he was uh, a freshman. He was on a team with Todd Martin and it was a very good team. And um, we were playing at Illinois and Mark was extremely hard on himself, a perfectionist, and he was struggling against a, a weaker player uh, from Illinois at the time. And he was down a set, down a break, and I just sat down with him and he looked at me like, you know, what do I do? You know, I, he was just lost. And I, I said, um, can you win a point? And he looked at me, he's a very logical guy, very black and white logical guy, brilliant, which was part of the problem. And he said, yes, I can win a point. I said, good, let's go win a point. So he won the first point of the next game. He looked over at me and I said, okay, let's win another one. And we just went from there. And of course he comes back and wins. And I said, I just said to him, you know, look, this is a simple game with a perfect scoring system. You're never out of it. You're never safe, but you're never out of it. So that's long-winded answer to down 40 love. No, but I love it. And you really, you know, you've touched on the power of incremental improvement, you know, getting a little bit better each day, even if it's 1%. Can you globalize that a little bit and take it from tennis to the importance of having that philosophy or living that out in our daily lives? Wow. That's uh, that wasn't in the, that wasn't in the, the, the description <laughs> of it. Uh, I think much like many, many coaches and also former, just former tennis players, the, we underestimate the lessons we learned from participating in participating in this game. Um, and I think that overcoming things, um, I, I hate the expression overcoming adversity and that was, it's used so much in 
the cliche in sports, but overcoming a hurdle or an obstacle is that's just what you do when you walk on the tennis court. There's going to be mistakes. It's a game of errors. And so you just intrinsically learn that. And then you take that with you, whatever you do going forward. And I think it's just subliminal. It's just there. And it differ, it, it really sets you apart from a lot of other people. I see it where I'm working, you know, I post coaching when I was in, you know, role, role at clubs, uh, management roles, director roles. Uh, I'm a, I'm a fundraiser now and, uh, I'll, I'll hear about people who are challenged by certain things or, or find some things to be hurdles. And I'm like, come on, seriously, you know, this is not a hurdle. And, um, it's just helped me so much, but I, if, if that's a global look at it, I think we, we take away so many good lessons from this game. Um, and then you throw the coaching aspect at where you're managing a group and getting a performance out of them. It's, you know, I, I got a lot more out of tennis than I ever gave it. Well, I love your perspective on, um, overcoming adversity. It reminds me of just the importance of how you define things. Like what's your definition of adversity? I mean, your definition of adversity may be different than mine, but you remind me of, you know, the mind of a true peak performer. They look at adversities as merely hurdles. It's like, oh, it's just a hurdle. That's, yeah. you know, and I think when you've got all of these competitive reps, like you have 24 years at Northwestern alone. I mean, that's a fraction of your competitive experience where you've been, you're battle tested, you know, and what that does to the pathways in your mind of, of your perspective on tough times, call them whatever you want, obstacles, hurdles, challenges, um, really makes a difference and sets you apart and sets all of the, the athletes, whether they're in sports or they're corporate athletes apart from most of society. Um, what would be your, your strategies? What could you share with us? Um, for those of us who are facing a few hurdles in our lives or maybe in our businesses or work, what are your strategies for overcoming hurdles? Uh, I think that, you know, in other words, keeping the hurdles in perspective, in other words, not beating yourself up and, and uh, getting too wound up about them. And I think that's something I'm, I've gotten even better at in the last few years, uh, where something will come up, whether it's in my, my job or my personal life or whatever, where I can, I just find myself stepping back and looking at the big picture regularly and and keeping that that hurdle or or um challenge in, in perspective and i think you just have to, it's something that it, it's i hate to say this another cliche it's a wisdom that comes with age you know you're you've overcome so many things that you've got these layers of wisdom um and experience and um you know that you're going to get through this and it may be a personal situation with a relationship it may be financial whatever it's going to be okay because you're going to make it okay. You, re you really are. And um, what does that remind you of? It reminds you of tennis. Okay, I'm serving at 50, you know, I'm serving at 540, but I know I can work my way out of this. And uh, it's problem solving. It's that ability to problem solve. And, and so many players quit when they're down 40 love. 
you know, they think they don't have a chance. Yeah. And if you don't believe you have a chance, then guess what? You yeah. have no, you have no chance. You know, it, um, it's like hard work doesn't guarantee success, but if you don't work hard, you're definitely not going to get, get very far. Um, coach, you're so committed to the game, you know, and your passion is, is truly evident. Um, what advice would you give to the young coaches out there, you know, are looking to make their name in, a, in the sport, in the industry, in the college tennis profession? Um, what would be some pieces of advice for these young leaders? Well, um, you know, I think coaching has changed. Uh, like I said, my path, um, I, I, you know, I was persistent, but um, I, I don't think I'd ever get a job like a, like a, like a Northwestern the way I went about it at that time. I think um, you've got to be single-minded. This is what you want to do. Um, I had people that would come to me to want to be an assistant coach because they wanted to try out college tennis and see if they liked it. I, I wasn't going to hire anybody like that. I only hired people that I knew wanted to be assistant coaches and had a, and they were driven to be a head coach and wanted. Second thing is be willing to pay your dues and go wherever the job is and invest the time and make less money, uh, do all the, do the grunt things, you know, pick up the towels, get the water, um, pay attention, you know, go to the conferences, go to the workshops, build the relationships. Uh, you gotta, you gotta make a, a real commitment to being a college coach because it's what you want to do. And I think most, most young coaches today could say they did that. Uh, but, the ones that think, um, yeah, I should just be a head coach and I don't want to be at this kind of program or that kind of program. I want to be at a certain place and a certain level. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's really foolish. You got to go and you take that job. Um, I would always tell my assistants, go be a head coach for a couple of years somewhere and get that on your resume so that when you the job you really want comes up, You've got hit. Not only do you have it on your resume, but you've got the experience of being in charge. Like Arvid will say to me all the time, he'll say, "He he's so funny." He said, "When I was assistant, you just let me coach. You did, and you take care. You took care of all the all the peripheral stuff." And and uh, you know, um, I take that as a backhanded compliment. But be willing to make some sacrifices, some real sacrifices, and um, and pay your dues. You know the. Working is a privilege, not not a right. And I I, I found this that uh, a lot of people, and I, I don't want to put point at young people uh, in particular, but you know everybody wants uh, wants a job, but not everybody wants to work. So, <laughs> um, you talked about the value um, or the willingness to pick up the towels. And you reminded me of a guy that I know you wanted to talk a little bit about today uh, named Dick Gould. So, you know, when I spent that time out at Stanford with coach Gould and, and then coach Brennan uh, over the course of gosh, two and a half months in one summer, Gould is talking to all of us. We're all sitting in the stands and he's on the tennis court. And it's probably day one, you know, it's the introduction speech to tennis camp and kind of not laying down the law. Cause that's not, as you know, coach Gould's sort of personality. Um, 
but just giving us a little bit of a pep talk. And one of the things he said that I've never forgotten was treat these courts as if it were your own living room. That's just great. in terms of, in terms of take pride in where you are, you know, don't leave the tennis balls out on the court. Don't leave the towels out on the court. And I think one of the things that I think he appreciated about me is I actually internalized what he said. And I spent 10 weeks going around the courts, you know, before practice, after practice, at the end of the day, and picking up all the little things that were on the court. And it's easier to do, I think, when you're at Stanford and you've got this fantastic multi-million dollar tennis facility. I think it might be a little bit easier to take pride in it. But I think you've really hit it on the head. I mean, I think the theme of our conversation today it's all about hunger, you know, the, the hunger and the drive to win. I feel your passion, you know, in this talk and all of the examples that you've shared with the people that you've surrounded yourself with intentionally, not by accident. And I think also your ability to leverage the different experiences that you've had. I mean, you've done jobs where you didn't really love it. And then you've also been in situations where, um, you know, you just want more and more, more and more dual matches. If we can compete every day as yeah. true coaches, we would. I yeah. mean, when I when I talked to Adam last week on the podcast, he said, he said, Renee, it's December, as you know. We have nothing going on right now. I'm dying. I can't wait. I can't wait until January comes around so we yeah. can start practicing and we can start competing. Uh, so your passion you know, I really appreciate it. I know the audience is really going to, going to feel it. Uh, coach, what would you like your legacy to be? Um, well, can I say one quick thing about Dick Gould? Cause you sure. mentioned Dick real quick. Um, you know, he's at Stanford and um, I knew I wanted to really teach and coach and I'm playing at Chico state. And I, um, I went down to interview with them to, to work in their summer program. It was called recreation tennis. And, Tom Shivington, the, the legendary coach at Foothill, and, and Dick had, had contracted all these park districts in the Bay Area. So I got hired and, you know, taught me how to teach groups. And um, it was just the timing was perfect. And Dick, that was the summer of 1973. I worked for him for one summer. From to this day, Dick made me feel like I had played for him for four years. And I know a lot of other people had that experience. And I learned a great lesson from that. You treat the people that work for you in the summer camp, the, the, the support staff, you treat everybody like special and make them feel good about themselves. So I'm that's I wanted to throw that in. And Dick was a great mentor to me throughout my coaching career. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you. I mean, I spent five weeks with him, with Coach Gould, you know, face-to-face and daily communication. And our relationship has spanned close to 30 years now, you know, and he has, he continues to be an unbelievable mentor, not only for myself, but to, to many of us in the coaching profession. Let's get back to your legacy. What would you like your legacy to be? Well, um, the relationships, uh, I, I think, um, I'm really proud of the relationships I have with my former players, my former assistants. Um, they're like, they're like your sons. I feel like I've got, you know, I've got two children of my own, you know, I adore and my son, Joe, and my daughter, Anna, but um, 
I think those relations, and not all of them are great. You know, some guys I've some guys I've never heard from again, but the majority I I know where they are and they know where I am, and some I'm very close with, and they'll call me up um, and talk about non tennis issues. And um, assistant coaches, former assistants, will call you up and talk about Arvid's great line. And then this is I got from a number of the guys, the former assistants, is uh, did this ever happen to you? And then they would explain this story, you know, either with a player or administrator or whatever. And I say, yep, it would happen. Um, I think my legacy, uh, those relationships that I had strong uh, relationships and I was instrumental in their lives um, is far and away the most important thing that I would like to be thought of or think, you know, in terms of my career or, or legacy. Well, coach, it's been great to connect with you. I really appreciate your time and, and the wisdom. Um, I can attest that it's not the glasses, whether you had the glasses on or not, that was <laughs> that wisdom and your knowledge, you know, comes through loud and clear. And I hope that we can do some of this again. I think there's, you've got Love so to. much, you, you've got so much experience in this business, but I'm not talking about the college coaching business. I'm talking about the business of life. And I think the emphasis that you put on relationships cannot be underrated, you know, nor understated, you know, it's all about people. And I, that's what I learned from Greg Patton. He said, coaching is a people business, you know, for the ultimate, it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate people business. It really is. Yeah. And the job of a coach is to maximize the potential of the person that's in front of you. And I want to thank you for your commitment to doing that over time, you know, the 24 years at Northwestern and your coaching time before that and what you're doing now in your work, you know, with alumni, you know, I wish you the best and continue to impact people's lives. Thanks, Renee. It's been a pleasure. Good to be with you. Okay. Thank you. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. If you receive value from our Down 40 Love podcast, please share this link with a friend or mention it on social. That creates a win-win-win for all of us through these amazing conversations with bold leaders who are turning adversity into competitive advantage. If you want to connect further, sign up for my weekly mindset newsletter for peak performers at renevidal.com forward slash newsletter or email your questions to renee at renevidal.com. And whatever you do, remember this, dominance is daily. Are you ready? Let's go.